You're listening to the Let's Be Real podcast. Now, here's your host, Andy Hughes. Our guest right now is the leader of an extremely customer-focused hospital in the state of Florida. He's the president and CEO of Advent Health Fish Memorial Hospital. Let's welcome Rob Dininger to the Let's Be Real podcast. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great, and thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation today. We really appreciate you coming on, and as I said, you're the president and the CEO of Advent Health Fish Memorial Hospital. I would imagine that uh, you were on quite a journey to get to that this you know this position as as the president and CEO. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey to the position that you're in now? Well, certainly, um, you know, it, it it is a bit of a journey, and it's it's an interesting one, different than a lot of my colleagues. Um, but if we go back to uh, college, I went to a liberal arts college up in Michigan. I took a four-year degree in technology and discovered that I really loved flying. And so, as it turns out, I decided I wanted to be a commercial airline pilot. And so that's probably uh, right off the gate where it starts out different, because I didn't start in healthcare. I actually started in aviation. So I spent then the next almost 13 years um, flying as a commercial airline pilot for a number of airlines, a number of different aircraft, different parts of the country, um, you know, was able to see a lot of the world, see a lot of North, South, Central America, United States, um, and really enjoyed uh, building up a, a career for what I what I thought was was what I wanted to do, which was grow up and and be an airline pilot and and retire out of that profession. But life has a you know an interesting way of of changing as you as you get older and as things happen and so in in and around 2001 I was working for United Airlines um, as a pilot and was based in the Washington DC area and all of you will remember uh, September 11 2001 those of you who are old enough anyways and obviously the tragic events of, of that day kind of forever changed uh, the aviation industry uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it created a lot of instability. There was a lot of um, folks quit flying for a number of months. We had um, several airlines go out of business, names that uh, aren't with us today like uh, Eastern Airlines and America West and and others, TWA, that aren't, that aren't around anymore. But it, it really changed what uh, what the industry looked like after that. And so I ended up out of work for a number of months and uh, spent that time trying to understand uh, what the future might look like. I was lucky enough to be hired by Frontier Airlines, which was a, a young and growing airline based in Denver, Colorado, and uh, was able to get hired on there in 2002. Uh, uh, three, four. And it was a a great experience. I'd been with them for a number of years, was flying the Airbus um, as a uh, first officer. And as, you know, progressing up the ranks, uh, picked up additional responsibility and and skills and then uh, woke up one morning um, in 2006 to them filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so, you know, was really faced with a uh, 
another major turning point where I was faced with the possibility of having to make a, another career change. You know, as you, those of you that don't know the airline industry, it's a, it's a heavily unionized industry, which means that uh, pretty much everything in your life is governed by the seniority list. And so that's, you know, where you are and seniority determines your pay, your benefits, your schedule. So pretty much everything to do with your quality of life. And so having been at United for some time and then starting over at Frontier was going all the way back to the bottom, um, bottom pay, bottom benefits, and then having worked my way up at Frontier and then the, facing the possibility of being uh, having to potentially start over again as they went through the bankruptcy reorganization process was was another challenge. And so it was at that point where I started to to seriously look around at to what other industries uh, were out there that I could potentially take my skills and be useful in. That that tracking so far with you, Andy? It absolutely is, and uh, that's really interesting and an awesome journey for sure. And I want to actually go back to the commercial airline pilot because I think that's a really Certainly. cool thing that you did. What was that experience like? You mentioned September 11th, 2001. Obviously, that changed the industry. You know, one of the things that we talk about here is alignment, and and that's what the A in the real stands for. And I would have to imagine that. You really have to be aligned when you're a pilot. Oh, absolutely. You, you, it's a, you know, it's a fascinating career. I, I don't regret a minute of my of my time in the airline industry, um, and this, my time as a pilot. Um, you really are, at least from a pilot's perspective, um, you're you're all in on on the career that you're with. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a ton of training, a ton of education. Um, obviously, high stakes, um, high price for safety and reliability. And so it's it's a it's absolutely it's an it's an exciting industry to be a part of. And I really enjoyed the you know being on the I guess I would call it the customer facing side where I was in commercial passenger aviation as well because it was a good balance for me. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned the training. What was the training like? I'm sure that there was a lot of training that had to go into that because, you know, if a situation occurred where there was an emergency or something went wrong, you really have to know what to do in that moment. Yeah, certainly. You know, it, it, commercial aviation is is one of the safest, if not the safest, uh, industries out there. And it's, it is such because of the level of training that goes into – uh, each of the crew members' roles. Uh, I've not been around an industry that does more uh, emergency preparedness training. Um, you know, every pilot spends significant amount of time in simulators. These are simulators not like a desktop video game, but full motion simulators that can replicate essentially everything that the airplane is capable of doing. Um, you know, as a captain, you, you go every six months and you practice, you know, everything from engine fires, engine failures, um, evacuations. You practice any number of, of things that are impossible to, to replicate in the airplane so that when they do happen, you're completely prepared for them. And you do that as every, every crew member, flight attendants, pilots, um, all go through some level of continuous training where there's a set schedule where they're they're back in for recurrent training and 
that really I do think uh, is a is a huge reason why the industry is as safe as it is. And um, you know, other industries, including healthcare, have have sought to become more like aviation in their in their level of safety and training, and and have some work to do. But um, yeah, I've not seen an industry that spends the amount of time uh, and resources on recurrent and uh, safety training. Yeah, that's very fascinating. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of people stopped flying, and I feel like there may be some people still out there that are still a little bit afraid of getting on a plane. But as you said, I feel like it's probably the safest that it's ever been now. I think it is. I, I mean, you you have to look up some of the statistics on the amount of people who are flying, but mm -hmm. I think we're a more connected world, more connected than we've ever been. And, and aviation plays a huge part of that. There's millions and millions of people every year who travel by air and you know, the you, you're far more likely to uh, have an accident uh, in your car, uh, walking your dog, um, being hit by lightning than you ever are of having something negative happen to you in an airplane. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for a lot of people, it's it's a lack of control and a lack of understanding that contributes to their, their fear. Mm -hmm. um, flying is something most people don't really understand how, the physics of it. They don't understand how it happens. And, you know, and so you're, you know, combine that with the fact that you're in the air at 40,000 feet with 180 people you don't know. Um, going incredibly fast and, and sometimes in bad weather. And I think it just it's that lack of control, I think, that drives a lot of people's fear. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, I want to actually move away from that now and talk about your journey into the healthcare industry. And I think it's interesting because when you think about healthcare and airline industries, people may not loop those together or they may not seem similar. But when you think about it a little bit more in depth, both are considered services that are made for the people where, you know, as a in the healthcare industry, you're trying to um, improve their health, whatever that means, whatever that means, whether it's surgery or mental health, physical health, whatever it is. But in an airline, yes, you're trying to get the person from point A to point B, but you're also um, doing a lot of things for the customer and also you know, just making sure that they have a great experience. Could you talk a little bit about the, the similarities between those two industries? You know, certainly, as you said, on the surface, they don't appear to be to be all that similar. Um, but when you when you start to go deeper into them, there are some strong similarities. Uh, both are highly regulated industries. There's a lot of regulation and oversight to them both. There is a extremely high price paid on safety for both industries and so that price on safety means that there's a lot of uh, work that goes into delivering the safe product and then they both have an incredible value placed on the consumer experience as part of it you know airlines compete daily over uh, the experience you have on their airplanes while you fly do you get there on time do you get good uh, do you have a comfortable seat does your bag arrive with you you know the the sort of uh, how are the flight attendants and their interactions with you is this a pleasant experience Healthcare is a lot the same. We place an incredibly high price on your experience with us. I think most people take for granted. I think they 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 believe that at least in the United States we have great healthcare, and so in in some ways in the United States the safety of care is something people take for granted at hospitals, mm -hmm. and so what they're actually measuring us against is the experience of their care 
when they come to a hospital. And so, so how are they feeling humanized and how are they feeling loved and, um, you know, a part of the conversation and what's the communication like and do they understand what's going on? These are all things that are part of their consumer experience. Um, that that are very similar to to the airline industry. Most people don't go travel on an airplane and worry about whether they're going to get to their destination. I think they take for granted mm-hmm. that it's a safe it's a safe environment. So what they're buying their ticket on is based on price, or it's based on loyalty to a brand, or it's based on comforts or, or various things. Mm-hmm. No, that's really interesting. And as a CEO and president. Obviously, you've had a lot of different roles, and you've been able to advance your career to a CEO and president. What were some of the things that you did to stand out to develop your career? Well, when I first started in in healthcare, I, I transitioned into a role in performance improvement. I, I had, during my time in the airlines, done some work in uh, Six Sigma and Lean, and had had some experience in that. And there was a real desire in healthcare at the time to bring some of the airline um, thinking and process methodology into the healthcare environment. And so I started on a team of performance improvement uh, consultants, basically, that worked for our health system. And and that was a, a great opportunity for me to learn healthcare kind of on the ground floor and and work with a lot of really diverse teams. I worked in transportation and lab, pharmacy, um, imaging, nursing units, um, really working with those teams and those leaders, understanding their challenges and mm-hmm. ways that maybe some PI, PI thought process and methodology could help uh, solve some of their problems. And so that that was an opportunity for me to really build my relational skills and and help work with leaders because as a PI as a PI leader you are you you don't run these units you don't these business units don't report to you so you're sort of leading through influence and you're trying to help people um reach a consensus um, to work on a solution that is really nothing that I can implement myself. It really has to be owned by them. And I think there's a lot of qualities in that that have, that have kind of stayed with me as I've grown in leadership roles. I, I tend to be the type of leader that encourages people to, to, to find their own solutions um, and let me be someone who moves barriers out of the way and, and maybe opens opens doors to to where some of the doors are closed, but really empowers them to try to make their own make their own decisions and, and kind of own their own their work um, and not do it for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing, uh, the, probably one of the turning points um, in my leadership career was while working in in performance improvement, I was contacted by a, a senior executive. Um, with the opportunity to work on what at the time seemed like a thankless project with the Malcolm Baldridge Award. And essentially the work was, I need you to come work for me and help me, or come spend time with me, help me rewrite our application. Um, Very tedious work, a lot of um, hours with a computer and and writing an application to, uh, to send in on behalf of our organization. And I was one of only two people on our team that that said yes to the opportunity. And the next six or eight months that I spent working on that process was transformative in that I got to learn a lot of our organization that at the very senior level as I work with executives to help understand their thought process and and how we were going to articulate things that we did in the organization into an application. 
it was really that exposure and the work that happened there that then led me to be offered my first director position over over a research institute. And so, you know, one of the things I tell people today is that, you know, be someone who starts with yes and then goes and figures it out. Um, there's too many people today who, who, who when ap- approached with an opportunity, instantly think of all the reasons why it can't be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but be the kind of person who's, who's biased to say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then figures out how to get it done. I love that. I love the fact that you, you know, you kind of take that attitude is just say yes and see where it goes. And I think that's a good way to do it because it allows you to maybe explore new things that you never have and it helps you learn. And the more things you learn, the better you're going to be. Um, You can never learn too much. So I think that's a really cool thing that you did. Now, um, another thing that I'd like to ask you as a CEO and as a president, what are some qualities that you look for in, in a good leader? You know, there's uh, a lot of qualities. I think one of the qualities I look for is is, a, is that yes first attitude, um, since we just kind of touched on that. Mm-hmm. That's clearly one of them that I look for. Um, I look for someone that has a insatiable desire to learn as well, because I really think that, especially in healthcare, healthcare is for always changing. Every every month it feels like we've had some change to the industry, something, some new challenge to tackle. Other industries are similar to this as well. And so I think the best leaders are ones that have this quest for knowledge and this desire to continuously learn and not, not, not sit back and assume that you've learned it all. Um, you know, a third quality would be um, someone who has their has their priorities sorted. And I'm I'm blessed to work in an organization that that places a high value on faith and family and and a prior balance from a priority standpoint. And you know, so I look for leaders who 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 understand who they are, um, understand what role faith plays in their life, what role the their family plays in their life, and what role work plays in their life, and has sorted the order that those things are important to them. Uh, because it it has a tremendous um, ability to determine how successful you can be as a leader if you've figured out your priorities. That's great, and I actually do want to dive into the current organization that you're in. You talked about faith. Uh, How important is it for you, as well as the hospital overall, to give back to the community? Because I've heard a lot about the efforts that you guys do. You guys do some tremendous work. How important is that to give back to the community that you're a part of down there in Florida? Well, certainly, you know, Advent Health, we're a overtly faith-based Christian organization, and, and we really do view each of our hospital facilities as parts of our communities. We, with a few exceptions, we have some very large facilities. The majority of our facilities would be considered medium-sized hospitals. They're somewhere between 120 and 190 beds, um, medium-sized facilities. The majority, Fish Memorial is one of those. They are in communities that are moderately sized, and in most cases, our hospitals are the single largest employer in the town that they're in. And so we very much are a key part of our communities. And so we embrace that opportunity to be involved in in 
all kinds of things that have in some ways nothing to do with health care, but have everything to do with the fact that I employ a thousand employees at this hospital and most of them live and work within 10 miles of the facility. And so we're very much a part of the communities and we we take steps to partner with everything from boys and girls clubs to rotary clubs to, you know, various charities as ways to make sure that, you know, with a mission to extend the healing ministry of Christ, that we have a way to begin to help that trickle down into our community as well so that they feel like we're not just a business, but we're a part of their community. And so uh, we're, we are tremendously involved. Uh, it's one of the things I love about working for this organization is that it's it's so easy for us to jump in and and partner in the community because almost everyone on my team is involved in some uh, some charity or some organization because they understand how important it is to us. Yeah, that's amazing. And with that community service and treating people the right way at the hospital, I have to imagine that something that something in your business that is critical is empathy. And that's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of empathy in your industry? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I don't think you can be successful ultimately in healthcare if you don't have a team that understands empathy. You know, and there's there's a lot of uh, study out there on the difference between sympathy and empathy, mm-hmm. um, and that empathy is uh, a much deeper understanding of of people. And you know, we we have service standards uh, at the at the facility, and our our service standards as a company are love me, keep me safe, make it easy, and own it. And and we really believe that if we can do those four things, that that is kind of how we show empathy mm-hmm. um, because it's touching all sides of a person. It's, it's helping them feel um, sort of a mind, body, spirit approach to healthcare. And, and we, you know, how do we connect with people um, in the hospital and how do you create that human connection, that empathy in a, in a moment where they are almost solely focused either on their own pain or their family is focused on their sick loved one, and how do we stop just being caregivers? How do we? How are we not just a nurse in the room, a doctor in the room? But how are we? How are we having an interaction that is human being to human being? It's person to person, and we spend a lot of time working with our teams and and helping them understand the importance of that. And I, yeah, I couldn't. I could talk a long time about the power of empathy and and the the role that it plays in the healing process um you know people who are loved and are cared for uh heal faster and they they there's a ton of science that supports that and it's an interesting um interesting role that we can see ourselves in, in as healthcare providers in that we're not always providing healthcare as part of the healing process it's recognizing that things like companionship and friendship and conversation are also part of uh, the healing process that, that people need. Yeah, that's very interesting and fascinating. And, and now I'd actually like to just move to a, a quick lightning round just to kind of sum up your career. What are Do you have any resources that you recommend? Uh, do you read any books, anything like that that really changed your uh, outlook on leadership or anything like that? 
I read a lot. Um, you know, I have some great authors that are out there. Um, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and, and his work. Um, Brene Brown, she she does um, some fascinating uh, thoughts. You know, I there's a great book that that I, I've read several times called The Power of Story by Jim Lair um, that really talks about how you um, – you know, you can captivate people through the through the powers of story, and I think as as leaders, that's something that that our teams resonate with. Um, boy, what else? Um, some great um, uh, made to stick. Uh, Chip Heath, uh, I think, and his brother Dan uh, about habits and how do we how do we create uh, meaningful. Uh, stickiness at work when it comes to the things that we try to do. Um, you know, there's, there's so many good, so many good business books, but you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I try to read a lot and I try not to focus as much on, I guess the, the daily, weekly, monthly journals, um, because they tend to, they tend to shift their focus too often. Um, to, to sort of the topic of the month or the topic of the week. And so I, I try to read, uh, more people who are, who are thought leaders in, in a space and try to take what, you know, what they have discovered and figure out how I can apply it to, to my life. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check some of those out. And uh, to all the listeners out there, definitely check those out as well. Now, as the president and the CEO, what are some of your greatest accomplishments in your career so far? Oh boy, um, you know I had one really fun accomplishment. I said yes to a, a role as uh, to lead a research institute. I knew nothing about research, um, and I was asked to help uh, design, build an institute, hire a hundred staff, recruit scientists to study diabetes and obesity in Orlando, Florida. And you know, I said yes to that, and that institute today has 120 staff, like a dozen scientists, and I think they're up to six or seven million dollars a year of, of NIH funding and another five or six million of industry funding. And so, you know, it's been fun to watch that institute that I kind of helped uh, start up as a from the ground floor, really flourishing in Central Florida, doing a really powerful research in in a in a space that has so much need um so a lot of satisfaction in that and and then just to you know i've i i get a lot of satisfaction about people who've worked worked with me um and who i've had a chance to work alongside and mentor and and coach a little bit um go on and do great things and so i i enjoy watching other people's success as well people who i've had a chance to work with yeah, that has to be really rewarding with both, you know, that program and the people that have worked with you. That has to be just really rewarding for you. So I could definitely understand that being a, a great accomplishment. Now, on the flip side of that, did you have ever have a time where, you know, maybe you had a, a huge challenge and, and how did you overcome that to, you know, just get past all that adversity? Well, I mean, I tell people all the time, I, I, I have a hard time dwelling on the negative. It's kind of in my in my wiring, and so I, I, I don't remember all of those things as well. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest challenges I had was extremely early on in my adult career, back when I was still working on being a pilot. And I went and sat for my very first test, which was my uh, commercial pilot's license. 
and and I failed it. And I had there had been months and months of preparation, and I was ready to go. And I went in, and it no, it just felt like nothing went right. And I came out of the flight portion, and the examiner sat down and said, "I can't pass you." And and I I felt like at that point I was like, "Oh no, what am I going to do?" Um, this is this is what I want to do. This is the career I want to be in, and you know I I was still in college. Well, just out of college at the time, and so um, you know I spent probably three days um, thinking about it and and praying about it, and decided that you know what um, I need to do this again. And it, it, it on one hand it's it's as simple as you retake the test and you pass. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there was a bit of a reputation in the industry that people didn't like to hire people who had who had who had failed a test. The expectation was you would just pass the ball. So I went back about a week, week and a half later and, and passed it. And there was a few times over the course of my flying career that I was asked about, so what happened? um on on this with this one test that you didn't pass and i was able to i think turn that into a bit of a strength for me by by talking confidently about the things that i had done well and the things that i had not done well and what i had learned from the experience Mm -hmm. and that the experience and the feeling that i had when i had failed that test was a feeling i didn't want to experience again and so that motivated me to study and learn and uh, continue to focus on how to not have that feeling again. And so I was able to kind of turn that into a motivator. Wow. Yeah, that's a very fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that. But I think that does come back to your attitude because, you know, maybe there were some people, maybe they were too embarrassed to even go back and take the test. But you learn, you use it as a learning moment. You didn't take it as you know, something that was killing your dreams. You did whatever it took to get to that point and you were able to pass it. So um, that type of attitude was was critical in that moment. Well, Rob, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, this was a really cool interview. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And um, best of luck with everything at the hospital. We really appreciate all that you do. And uh, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you today and I hope the listeners enjoy it. 